Uh, good morning. I'm still not John. I tried really hard this week, but nah, still me. Uh, let me tell you what's going on. Last week, you know, uh, Pastor John was away at the Renault wedding that went wonderful for Ben and Jessica. Yeah. And uh, he had that wedding. And then for the first time in the history of our church, he booked weddings real close to each other. Pastor John typically doesn't look to schedule weddings on the weekends because you know what he, he wants to be here, right? He wants to preach. Well, wedding last week, and he's got a wedding next week. So here we had this week in the middle. And he said he would preach, but we're thinking, well, we're going through Romans. And it's, you know, is it okay to miss a week, kind of do a little bit, recap, stop, and take another? Anyway, you, we decided he would take the whole three weeks off. Typically, Mr. Rob Selleck is, is available to also come and, and teach. Uh, I was looking forward to him coming and teaching. <laughs> but his work and travel schedule made that impossible. So... I'm here. <laughs> wow, now I, thank you. That was kind. I, I feel like a warm-up act for the, somebody to come next. <laughs> Rob, maybe you should go now. They're ready. <laughs> well, here's, here's why I'm telling you all this. This unforeseen scheduling hiccup is a perfect context for us to talk about our message today, which is the unpredictability of God and this thing we call faith. I had a conversation uh, with a woman I used to work for a couple of years ago. We were sitting around talking about faith because she was sharing with me that a family member, I think it was an uncle, had passed away in the hospital. But she said it was really kind of uncanny. Her uncle, she said, didn't really have any faith. Um, but on the day he died, it just so happened there were a lot of other religious people that were visiting other people in the hospital and just happened to come into his room. Uh, this is going to sound like a setup for a joke. It is not. It, it's a true story. But that day, the day he died, he was visited by a priest, a rabbi, a pastor, a, um, a, a, a Hindu monk, and maybe even an aerobics instructor. I don't, I don't, he, all these people. So here's, here was her comment. She said he died, but at least he had his bases covered. Think about that. Did he have his bases covered? Is that how faith works? If you gather yourself around people of faith, does their faith cover you too? We don't need to speculate because we're going to look into God's Word to see what He says very specifically about our faith. But first, let's open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we bow our heads, we bow our hearts, we bow ourselves before You. You alone are God. We thank You, Father, for this church. We thank You that You have revealed Yourself to us so that we can come as a family and just tell You we love You. And we see you, Lord, we trust you, and, we, and we've come to just put our faith in you, Father, because you are true, and everything you say is right and stands forever. And now as we open your word, Lord, we pray as always that you would lead us, and it would be your voice we would hear, and no one else's. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our key text this morning is Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 uh, is a hall of fame <laughs> It's the Hall of Fame of Faith, if you've read that chapter. If you haven't, you're going to want to read it when you get home. Hebrews sounds like one of those books that would be in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. It's like the ninth book from the end. Uh, if you start at the back at Revelation, go. When you get to James, it'll be the book right before that. In this chapter of Hebrews 11, we read about a lot of very ordinary people, just like us. 
I'm not saying you're ordinary. I hope that didn't offend anybody like me (laughs) that have done extraordinary things because of their faith. The book of Hebrews is actually a letter that was written to Jewish Christians who at the time were really struggling with life circumstances. They were shaken in their faith. They were thinking about giving up. You probably all can relate to that. Here is something wonderful about the Lord. And the more I studied this, the more it just was so clear to me. Do you know what? God really understands us. He knows how we're wired. He did the wiring. He knows how we think. He knows how we feel. And he knows that we so often let our feelings get the best of us. We pay such attention to our feelings. Psalm 103, uh, 14 says, For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. He remembers. He knows. Our Father knows that we are people that walk by sight a lot better than we walk by faith. He understands that we're much better at worrying than we are at praying. When we get into a jam, we're much better at trying to figure our way out of it than we are at trusting the Lord to have His will in the jam. And it's much easier for us to get absolutely buried and lost in our circumstances than it is to keep our eyes on Him in those circumstances. And the Bible is full of example after example of everyday people that did extraordinary, miraculous things. And these people, they weren't prizes. (laughs) They got discouraged. They got overwhelmed. They got angry. They cried. They overreacted. They ran away. They hid. And they made monumental mistakes. But, but faith, with their faith, sometimes little faith, God did magnificent things for them, with them, and through them. The Bible teaches us that faith is more than just a belief or a trust. It's an action. Amen. Uh, Last week I was talking to you about uh, C.S. Lewis. My other favorite author is Dallas Willard. And uh, Mr. Dallas Willard went home to be with the Lord this year. And right before he died, his last words. Do you want to know what his last words were? Compare him to the man on the deathbed that was trying to get his bases covered. Dallas Willard, man of God, last words on his lips. Thank you. Thank you. Can you imagine? What a life well lived. Dying in your, in your hospital bed, the last words are thank you to the Lord. Well, Dallas Willard said this about faith. We don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. So I want to applaud every single one of you for your act of faith this morning. I was in the back and I watched you come in. I did not see any of you when you took your seat. I didn't see anybody stop to check the structural integrity of the chair before you sat down. Nobody came to the back and said, hey, can you tell us how old these chairs are and um, what kind of wood they're made of? And uh, what's the maintenance record on these chairs? You know, have there been any incidents, accidents? about the chairs? Is there a row that's safer that I can sit in? You all came in and you just sat. Maybe it's because you're a creature of habit like me. You, You always sit in the same place. Hey, that's my chair. I know my chair. Let me ask you this. How do you know we don't move the chairs around at night when you're gone? Huh? Have you ever put your faith in the wrong chair? 
You know, I don't want to, if you have one of these kinds of chairs, I do not, please, I'm not making a fashion or a, a, a decor statement. I'm just saying I try to avoid the chairs, the outdoor chairs that have those, are made of canvas or cloth. Because when you sit in them for a while, and when you get up, it's left an impression. And, then, and that impression is, is deep. <laughs> and it's wide. And it's embarrassing. I sat in a cloth chair like that once, true story, having a conversation with somebody. And while I was talking, I started to hear a ripping sound. And before I could identify where the noise was coming from, the, the chair I was sitting on tore away from the frame and I went through it. Okay, it was an old chair. It had been out in the weather, the sun, the rain for years, and lots of other people before me sat in it. Do you think that made me feel any better? <laughs> when my weight broke the chair? I put my faith in the wrong chair and it let me down, literally. There's a lesson there. Our good faith in the wrong thing does us no good. Jeremiah 7, 8 says, But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. That's the Lord speaking. You are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Let's read Hebrews uh, 11, uh, verse 1. We'll start here. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This verse is not so much a definition of the word faith as it describes what faith does. Faith gives us confidence. It gives us assurance. In the Greek, this word assurance means the highest possible conviction. The highest possible guarantee of a future reality. Maybe it helps to think of it like this. In the physical world, we use our five senses. Seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, and tasting. That's how we know about the physical world. Faith is the sense that we need to interact with the invisible things of God that we can't see, hear, touch, smell, or taste until we get to our future reality, eternal life. I have a great advantage maybe over some of you when it comes to understanding faith because I used to be a private pilot. And when I say I was a private pilot, that doesn't mean I used to fly airplanes and I didn't tell anybody because I was a private person. It means I was not a commercial pilot. A commercial pilot is a professional. I was a recreational pilot. <clears throat> and in my training, they taught us how to fly into instrument conditions where you couldn't see the ground or anything else. You'd fly into a cloud. Suddenly, you're, you're, you look out the window and all you see is gray. So you have no idea where you're going. But you do know where you're going because you have instruments in the cockpit. If you look at the instruments, they, they tell you exactly where you're heading. You're fine. You're absolutely fine. But here's the problem. For me, and I think for most pilots, the first moment you enter a cloud, you know what happens? Your body gets disoriented. When you lose sight of a natural horizon line and sight of the ground, your body starts to get disoriented and it sends you wrong signal. And the thing that's amazing, even when you know what's coming, you fly into the, the, the cloud and the first thing you feel like is the plane is turning. You just feel it and you, and you think, oh my gosh, the plane's turning. It's turning harder and harder and harder the more you're in the cloud. All, all you need to do is look at your instruments and they'll tell you a different story. They say, no, your wings are level, same heading, same airspeed, same, same altitude, you're fine. So this gives every pilot a life or death decision to make. Am I going to believe my feelings or am I going to believe my instrument? And many, many private pilots have died because they believe their feelings, not 
their instruments. So when the, they think the plane's turning this way, they're turning and turning. Well, remember, the plane was straight and level to begin with. So all they're doing is turning the plane over in what is called a death spiral. You can't recover, and you spin yourself into the ground. At pilot school, they taught me to disregard my feelings, focus on the instrument. And you know what happened when you do? Those false feelings go away very quickly. Obviously, you see the lesson that this has been for helping me understand faith. When life gets cloudy, it can be really disorienting, sometimes discouraging. Sometimes we even panic. Oh my gosh, this is, something bad's coming. It's gonna ha- I know, it's, I can feel it. It's, it's bad. And if we grab the wheel and we start turning, we can overcorrect, overreact, and turn ourselves right into the ground. And the Bible shows us over and over again we cannot rely on our feelings. The, the Lord says rely on his word because his word will never misguide us. It's like the instruments. We can trust it. By faith, we don't have to give in to our feelings. I know it feels like it because we have feelings. The Lord knows that. But we don't have to get in, give in to our feelings. We don't have to let our feelings rule us. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Clearly God knows, knows us. It's so easy to be afraid. How often are you afraid? How often are you discouraged? Yeah, me too. Isaiah 43.2. Love Isaiah 43.2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Don't you feel like that, though? Sometimes I'm going to get swept away. I'm going to be overwhelmed. I can't stand up under this. This is bad. This is the end of me. This is, this is terrible. Okay, I know, I know, I know. We've all been there. The Lord promises something different. Trust him. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith gives us the highest possible assurance of the invisible truth and reality of God. And faith gives us something else. You look at verse 3 of Hebrews. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Faith is the only way that you and I can understand God, understand who he is. So many people struggle with their faith because they have the wrong view of God to begin with. That's why it's so important that we, we read our Bibles as often as we can to really understand, let the Lord tell you who he is. Because you know what happens if we don't? We get a little bit of Bible. We get a little bit of radio. We get a little bit of comments from our friends. We get a little bit from this book we read and that book we read. And pretty soon we've made up a composite God. We've made a fictional false God. Good faith in a false God does no good. Remember Jeremiah 7, 8 again. But look, the Lord is saying, but look, you're trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Worthless. A minute ago we prayed. I'm going to ask you this question. I've asked you this before, but I ask myself this all the time. So if I'm driving you crazy, I'm sorry, you should be in my world. When you pray, do you understand who you're talking to? I mean, really understand who you're talking to when you bow your head at that restaurant or in church or on your way to work. Don't bow your head when you're driving, but any other time. 
By faith we understand the universe was formed at God's command. We're talking to the creator of the universe. I did a project with NASA last year, and they were telling me with all of their satellites and all of their technology, we cannot even measure the universe. We're barely able to guess. But we can't even measure it. God created all of that by speaking it into existence. He spoke, and it was there. And this word universe is wonderful because it carries two meanings, the creating of and also the maintaining of. God is the the creator and keeper. He holds the universe together, not with his hands and his arms. He holds it together with the power of his word. Psalm 33 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. In verse 9, For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. I got goosebumps last night when I read it. I just got them again. That, he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Oh, my gosh. When we pray, when we bow our heads to pray, when we open our eyes to pray, when we look to heaven to pray, we're not looking at the ceiling. We're speaking one-on-one with the creator and keeper of the universe. One of the biggest realizations of my life came years ago when it suddenly, or finally, I should say, dawned on me that nothing in my life was too big for God to handle. I realize that's not a big revelation, but it was for me when I finally understood nothing, nothing in my life is too big for him to handle. Jeremiah 32:27 says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? It's a rhetorical question. He's not asking us to puzzle that out. He's saying nothing is too hard for me. He's, this is what God is saying. He says, think this through with me. Is anything too hard for the creator and keeper of everything? Is anything in our life too hard for the creator and keeper of everything? When we really understand who God is, our life changes. It changes day by day because as we grow in the knowledge of the Lord, our faith grows. Our decisions, our attitudes, our actions, they change. Maybe only a little. Maybe you don't even see the difference until later when you look back at yourself or somebody tells you something about yourself. And you know what else for those of us who really understand who the Lord is? Obey is not a dirty word. It doesn't, make, it doesn't make us upset. Obey is the meaning and the purpose of our life. Let's look at the difference, a contrast between faith and unbelief. It's in Hebrews 11, where we are, verse 4. A story many of you know, but I, I saw something new in this that I, I well, knew for me. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 4 says, By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. We're going to come back to Hebrews 11, so if you can put a bookmark or something there. Please turn to Genesis, the fourth chapter. Genesis is the front book of the Bible. While you're turning there, I will tell you, this is telling us about Cain and Abel, who they are. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, they were fine, and then they disobeyed God, and they were forced to leave the Garden. And after they left the garden, they began having a family. And that's Cain and Abel were their two sons. So we're going to read about Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 to 8. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. 
Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought as an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Two brothers, Cain and Abel, brought their offering to the Lord, just like we brought our offering to the Lord today. Cain brought fruits of the soil, fruit and vegetables. You know who Cain was? Cain was the first man in the history of the world to make one of those edible arrangements. You ever heard of those? Those beautiful, that's what Cain made. They stole the idea from Cain. Biblical. So Cain came to God with his edible arrangement. His, his baby brother Abel showed up with an offering only a butcher would love. Abel brought a mess of fat portions from some of his animals. If you were there looking at those two offerings side by side, which one would you want? The fruit basket or the fat platter? God picked Abel's offering, the fat portions, and disregarded Cain's fresh produce. Why? Why? The answer is for us back in Hebrews chapter uh, chapter 11, verse 4. The answer is faith. Faith. It wasn't the content of the offering. It was the faith behind the offering. Came, Cain came with unbelief. Abel came with faith. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. Both brothers knew that the Lord required a, an animal sacrifice for their sins. We know that from other scriptures. Abel obeyed. Cain did not. With strong faith, here's the big difference for me. Abel understood who God was. Abel got it, so he obeyed. It it was sort of a no-brainer for him. Here's what the Lord said, I will do it. Cain's problem. Without faith, Cain really had no idea who God was. That's why it made perfect sense to to Cain to say, I know what God said, but I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to come to God. I'm going to come to you, Lord, on my way, not your way. What difference does it make? That's a person who does not understand who the Lord is. And here's something that really touched me in this passage, convicted me. When God gives us a command, if we choose to disobey that command like Cain did, no matter how we dress our sin up, no matter how, what pretty kind of an arrangement we make, an edible arrangement, a fruit basket, however we want to decorate our sin, God who sees into our hearts still sees sin. There's no way we can disguise it. We can fool others, but never fool him with our disguises of our sin. And the Lord said to Cain, you will be accepted if you do what is right. Way back, very first family in the history of the world, God is teaching them the difference between right and wrong. There really is a right. There really is a wrong. By faith, Cain agreed, uh, Abel agreed with God, and he did what was right. Without faith, Cain decided, yeah, phooey on that. Phooey is a biblical word, word um, phooey. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where that came from. I'll decide what's right. I will decide what's right and wrong. 
obviously we see today that there's much more Cain-like thinking than Abel thinking. And look at this. Cain's little sin, if you want to call it little, of disobeying God with the offering, ended up with the big sin, if you want to call it that, of him murdering his brother. When we decide to disobey God, we should not be surprised when things go from bad to worse. So on the basis of what happened between Cain and Abel, I think you, you could conclude that Abel's faith was not rewarded because he was murdered. He's dead. But look at verse 4 again. By faith, Abel was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Abel still speaks even though he is dead. What does that mean? It means that Abel's faith made him righteous in the eyes of God. And God rewarded him with eternal life. I wish we had time to look at... Uh, actually, I do have time. It's you that don't have time for me to look at all the verses in uh, Hebrews 11. So let's just drop down to uh, verse 29 of Hebrews 11. You know, today, I really... You know, go outside. It's a beautiful day. Take Hebrews 11 with you and read this list. It's an amazing chapter. But um, Hebrews 11... Verse uh, 29. Oh, wow, I love this. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. This passage, of course, is talking about the Exodus. When Moses led the people out of Egypt and they, God parted the Red Sea. If you do me a favor, um, stay in, keep your place there at Hebrews because we'll come back. But turn to Exodus chapter 7 second book of the Bible. Because we're going to read several different chapters in, in Exodus because it'll give us context for what we read in Hebrews 11.29. While you're turning to Exodus 7, let me just set it up for you. The Israelites are still slaves in Egypt, doing very hard time for Pharaoh. And Moses is about to get his final instructions from God as how God wants him to take the people out of Egypt, out of captivity. We're going to get back to the parting of the Red Sea. Remember, it took them a while to get there. It's going to take us a few minutes to get there. Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. Let's read this part together. This is really good. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. You know what I love? I love that God laid the whole plan out for Moses. Don't you sometimes wish he'd do that for you and for me? Oh, man, Lord, I have a big job interview coming up. It's a few weeks off. Could you please tell me what I should wear? Should I wear my lucky shirt? Should I, should I send them a thank you card? What are they going to ask me? Tell me what I should say. And if you let me know how it's going to turn out now, I can go car shopping now. So let me know. Father, I'm going to start a new ministry. Will you please tell me how you're going to grow it and bless it? Who's going to come? Show me what I need to do. Do I need to have a potluck? Do I need to have a website? Help me understand. What should I do? My kids, Lord. What are you going to do about my kids? How do I help them grow? Show me what kind of men and women they're going to grow up to be and tell me exactly what I can do to help them the most. Wouldn't that be nice? 
Well, Moses laid out his plan for Aaron, and, and I mean, God laid out his plan for Moses and Aaron, and they did everything God told them to do, because that's what faith does. It listens, it believes, it springs into action by obedience. It follows the Lord. But then something happened. As we read on, there was a little unannounced wrinkle in this plan. Let's continue reading in Exodus 7, starting at verse 8. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Okay, so far so good. But here comes the wrinkle. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staff. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Okay, Moses and Aaron did exactly what they were told. The Bible tells us that. They boldly went into Pharaoh's court. They did the miracle. They threw the staff down. It made a snake. Perfect. But then came that little surprise. Pharaoh got his sorcerers, his wise men, his magicians, and with their own witchcraft, they could duplicate that miracle. They could make their staffs turn into snakes. Just a quick note, Satan, he's not original. Counterfeit, copycat, never an original thought. I don't know if this, this is probably not the first time you've heard this story. If it is, that's wonderful. If it's not, do you remember the first time you heard this story? I do. I was in Sunday school. I remember the first time I heard this story, and this would kind of bum me out. God told Moses that whole plan, and he left this part out of the plan. Oh, come on. I mean, this miracle of Aaron's staff turning into a snake was supposed to be the big miracle that proved that the Lord is the Lord and that, that Moses is his spokesman. If I was Moses, I would have really been looking forward to that moment. I can't wait to say, well, my brother will watch this. The brother is going to make the snake. I'm going to look up. I can't wait to see Pharaoh's face and everybody's face when that staff becomes a snake. It, that's going to be great. And when that big moment came, Aaron threw the staff down and became a snake. All Pharaoh did was call his cronies. Hocus pocus, look out Moses. Boom, more snakes all over the ground. Oops. Is this what software designers would call a glitch? A bug? An error? A flaw in God's plan? Have you ever taken a bold step of faith and started something, and then the minute you started it, it got off to a rocky start. How did that feel? You sit there and start to kind of second-guess yourself or God, like, well, Lord, maybe I misunderstood my instructions. Maybe I wasn't the person you were talking to. The wonderful thing here is when you trust an unpredictable God, get ready for an unpredictable ride. Surprise! Pharaoh's magicians could turn their staffs into snakes, too. Surprise, God's snake could eat all their snakes. Can you picture that? That's the moment I'd want to see. Can you picture that? The, 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 the bad guys throw their staffs down, their snakes. <clears throat> you can see they had to be laughing at Moses and pointing and, or whatever Egyptians do, <laughs> right? And then all of a sudden they look down and that one snake of God's is swallowing all their snakes. I bet you that wiped the smile right off their faces. I'll bet you at that moment you could have heard a pin drop in the palace. 
because the message was loud and clear. The Lord was going to devour them. The passage shows us something wonderful. The Lord has a great plan, but he doesn't tell us everything in his plan. If he told us everything in his plan, we wouldn't need faith. God promises that his plan is always good, pleasing, and perfect. That he promises. Whatever his plan is, he promises that it is good, pleasing, and perfect. He just doesn't promise to tell us all the details, or any details for that matter. God wants our faith to grow. And he knows the only way it can grow is if we walk by faith, not by sight. We could spend the next hour easily going through psalms right now because there are so many psalms I've marked at moments when I, I want to really understand faith. I want to just read three of them for you so we get out on time. Psalm 9, verse 10 says, Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Never forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 27 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. In Psalm 84:12, O Lord Almighty, blessed is the person who trusts in you. Blessed is the person who trusts in you. Pharaoh refused to let the Israelites go, just as God said he would. So God then set up a series of plagues, each one worse than the one before. I'm going to quickly go through these because it's going to become important in a moment when we get back to the Red Sea. We are coming back to the Red Sea. The very first plague was turning, taking, going to the Nile River. The, rivers of, the waters of the River Nile were sacred to the Egyptians, and, and God turned the water into blood. Remember that? Well, here again, those wacky magicians, they showed up and said, whoa, 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 look, 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 we can do that too. And they turned water into blood as well. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on, that's funny. You've got to think about what Moses is thinking, like, oh, good, guess what, what Pharaoh needs, more bloody water. Yeah, good. Go ahead, guys. I mean, if those men wanted to prove they had real power, then clear the water. Reverse God's curse. Can't do that. They're just counterfeits. They're copycats. But I bet you it scared some people. Okay, next plague. God caused millions of frogs to come up all over Egypt. Egypt's, for, in Egypt, frogs were sacred. And God was saying to them, oh, you like frogs. So frogs came everywhere. And guess what? Again, again, the magicians, wait, 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 wait. We can do that. We can do that. Watch. I can do that. And they made frogs. Can you see that report when they go to Pharaoh? Pharaoh says, what's the latest frog count? And they go, well, we still have the billion frogs Moses made, but we just made a hundred more. Again, copycat. If they wanted to show they had any power to reverse what God wanted to do, they would have got rid of the frogs, or at least one. Hey, hey, hey we killed one frog. Nope, nothing. Okay, next came these little tiny gnats, these biting little insects that covered all the people and the animals. The magicians were out of mojo by this point. Could not do anything. No more copy, no more nothing. They just suffered like the rest of the Egyptians. And then came these interesting insects. After the gnats came the flies that would suck blood, these flies. And they poured into the palace. They flooded all over Egypt except they did not go to the land of Goshen because that's where God's people live. Clearly these flies had GPS and really good Google map directions because they stayed right away from where the Israelites were. 
Then came a plague that killed all of the Egyptian livestock. Livestock was so precious, that was money in the bank to them. But not one Israelite lost an animal. Next came a bunch of boils, painful boils. At this point, the Bible says the magicians could not even stand before Moses and Aaron because they were, they were just too covered with painful boils. Then a hailstorm came that was mixed with fireballs, and that killed people, killed animals, ruined crops, stripped trees. Just when they thought that was bad enough, came lo- here comes locusts. Such a bad locust storm, it turned the whole ground black. And whatever little was left after the hailstorm, the locust ate. Then darkness came and covered Egypt for three days, but the Israelites had light. They had light. Finally, God sent that last plague, and every firstborn son in Egypt died, including whatever animals they had left. But God's people were spared because God told Moses to take the blood of a lamb and put it on the doorpost. And when the Lord came by, he saw the blood, he would pass over that house, and everyone inside that house would be saved. A foreshadowing of our glorious Savior. The Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, whose blood, when we put our faith in that blood, we are saved. This last devastating plague finally broke Pharaoh's will. And he said, Moses, go. Take your people, get out. The Egyptian people were so glad to see the Israelites go that they gave the Israelites whatever they asked them for. They gave them gold, they gave them silver, they gave them clothes. Imagine the Egyptians had some pretty cool clothes. In fact, the Bible says the Israelites plundered the Egyptians. Again, come on, come on. You've got to love our God. Not only did he bring his people out, he made sure they got all their back pay and interest. So Moses, the Bible says, led 600,000 Israelites out. But that only counts the men. It doesn't, that doesn't count women and children and other races that went with them. So it was well over a million people. And the most important thing is God went with them. If you turn to Exodus 13, uh, verse 21 to 22, we read, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. God is so faithful. He never leaves us. You know that road you're on right now? We're all on a path. You know that path you're on? He's with you in that path. He's not going to leave you. Again, don't pay attention to your feelings. Pay attention to your instruments. The Israelites saw God perform all those miracles we just talked about. Remember that? All those plagues we talked about? Those people saw God do those wonderful things. And now they're on their way to the promised land. They had the pillar of smoke. They had the pillar of fire. They had their man Moses. Perfect. But meanwhile... Back in Egypt, uh, Exodus 14, chapter 14, verses 8 and 9. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites, who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pahiroth, opposite baal Safan. First, let's note what the Israelites were doing. They were marching out boldly. Heads up, stomping probably. I mean, come on, they're high-stepping even. You know what this was? This was a parade of faith. This was faith on parade. This was faith in action. They're marching boldly. Then their parade did pretty well until it came to a little obstacle. Okay, it was a big obstacle. It was the Red Sea. 
No boat, no bridge, no way to cross. And while the people waited to see what Moses was going to do about this, they noticed this dust cloud coming up fast behind them. It was the Egyptian army attacking from the rear. Pharaoh was back with a vengeance. He was pursuing them with extreme prejudice. But remember, the Israelites had seen all those miracles. Remember that? They were proud marchers. They had faith in God. They had faith in Moses. They had seen God rescue them time and time again. This did not shake their faith one bit. Is that right? Well, not exactly. Let's look in chapter 14 of verses 10 to 12. Pharaoh approached. The Is- As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. Those who had marched out boldly were now crying loudly and blaming their leadership. Now, if I wanted to, (laughs) I could make a note here that not much has changed in God's people. Everybody's going along just fine, and when trouble comes, people start to cry and blame their leadership. But I won't say anything about that. The Israelites had fair-weather As long as everything was fine, they trusted in the Lord. They marched boldly. But that's not real faith, is it? Because real faith is trust God no matter what happens. No matter what. Fickle faith is really just superstition. Things are going well right now, so I better keep doing what I'm doing now. Am I wearing the right shirt? Maybe I have a Bible. I got the right Bible. Oh, no, no, no. NIV. I want NASB. You know, you start looking for what what was the thing you did to get God's favor? That's superstition, not faith. Because at the first sign of trouble, they forgot everything God had said and done for them just weeks, days before. I would love to condemn those Israelite people and judge them, except for the fact I've done that. There have certainly been times in my life when something happens and I fly off the handle And I'm upset, and I realize at that moment I've forgotten all about the Lord and His promises. It is easy to do. Praise God, I don't do that much anymore, but oh boy, I was a champion in my past. What about Moses? What do you think was going through his mind? He could assess the same problem too. He had his back up against the wall, the body of water behind him. He had his own people turning against him, and here was Pharaoh and the army coming to get him, and Moses would know... If Pharaoh wanted anything, he wanted Moses' head. That would have been the best price. It was a no-win situation. But Moses did not turn against the Lord. Why? One reason. It's a good one. Because Moses trusted what he could not see more than what he could see. Moses trusted what he could not see more than what he could see. Moses was convinced that God was bigger than any circumstance. Any circumstance. Even this big bad one he was in. Are you in a big bad one? Do you have a big bad one heading your way? Listen to what Moses said. I I have marked this passage. It's magnificent to me. I don't even know how many times I've read it. 
Here's what Moses said. In the face of all of that, you heard what the children of Israel were saying. Listen to Moses. He said, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. I love this. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Sometimes the greatest test of our faith is when God tells us, stop trying to solve your problem. Stop. Be still. Trust me. Trust me. Hard to do. Hard to do. Powerful to do. Life-changing to do. Liberating to do. So God parted the Red Sea. Israelites crossed it like it was dry land and went to the other side. Remember, faith is an action. So guess what? The Egyptians had faith too. Their faith was, hey, if the Israelites can do it, we can do it. Remember about that chair? Remember what we said about good faith and the wrong thing? Does this no good? God closed the water right over the top of them. We read in 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 28, the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, none of them survived. Good faith in the wrong thing. Let's finish with uh, verse 6 of, of chapter 11, Hebrews 11. I skipped this earlier because I wanted to close with it. And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The Bible doesn't say that without faith it's difficult to please God. If you don't have faith, boy, you have an uphill battle there. It's going to be a tough go. The Bible says without faith it's impossible. can't be done. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What does that mean? It means we must come believing him. Don't miss that. We can't come to God believing what we think he is. We can't come to God believing what somebody said he is. We have to come to God knowing who he is. And who he is has been revealed to us in his word. That's why we have to know it. When we come to him believing in him, the Lord in Isaiah 45, 5, I am the Lord, there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. And in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. This is the truth. By faith, this is it. We have to come believing this is true. By faith, we believe that Jesus died for us. His sins, our sins were paid on the cross. That's saving faith. And we all start there. And then the rest of our adventure lasts a lifetime. Then it goes on forever after that. The Lord gives us eternal life. And you know what else he gives us? It's really good. You want to hear He gives us the power to overcome weakness. He gives us the power to conquer old habits we've had so long we can't even think of ourselves without having those habits. He gives us the power to take control of our feelings instead of letting our feelings take control of us and countless other things that we never, ever thought we could do. Impossible? Luke 1.37 says, Nothing is impossible with God. Do we really believe that? That's the question you should ask yourself today. Do I really believe that nothing is impossible with God? I can tell you, I do. I really do. I have never seen a sea parted. I have never seen plagues like that. 
But I have seen bigger miracles in my own life that to me show that God can do anything with someone with faith, even the likes of me. Our God is so deserving of our faith, our total trust and our confidence, our worship and obedience. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we we come before you just in awe of you. Thank you for putting up with me. Thank you for putting up with us. Thank you for your love that covers us. Thank you, Lord, that no matter what happens, no matter what happens, you will never leave us or forsake us. You're right here with us. Father, help us see that in our faith. Let us be men and women that go out of here knowing and trusting you more boldly than we ever have before and for all the days of our lives. We ask this in the name that is so far above every other name, our Lord, our Savior, our King, our Master, the Lord Jesus.